0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Daniel. We're going to start a brand new series out of the book of Daniel. If you need a Bible, there should be a black hardback Bible somewhere near you, an ESV. And if you need a Bible, that's our gift to you. You feel free to take that with you today. As we uh, jump into this book of Daniel, we're going to look at mainly the first section of the book of Daniel. It can be broken up into two different sections, chapters 1 through 6 and then 7 through 12. And we're going to look at what it looks like to have conviction in a corrupt culture. So I have a question for you. Have you ever come to that moment in your life where you said, I will never do that? And then lo and behold, some time passes by. And you do the very thing that you swore, I will never do that. Now, it's easy for us who are parents to, to remember a time where he said, I would never do that. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you hadn't had kids yet and you're in Walmart and you see some lady just wailing on her kid in the middle of the, middle of the Walmart. And you were like, oh, when I'm a parent, I will never do that. And then when you have that kid... You're that parent, right? You know, you're that parent. Or maybe, maybe you're like, hey, I will never feed my kids unhealthy food. I will not be that parent. You're laughing because by that second child, they're all getting like crystals, right? You're like, let's just go by and get a sack full of crystals. Who cares? So uh, now I asked, asked Jonathan Katie this, and Jonathan said, oh, I've got one. You know, he's like six foot 10 or whatever it is. And he said, when I was a youth, I said, I will never drive a small car. And now he drives a Honda Civic, right? So, you know, I, don't, I have a Honda Civic, and I don't know how you get in it, buddy. I don't know how that happens, but that's a small car. The thing with that is there's a difference between conviction and preference. And sometimes we confuse the two of what conviction is and what preference is. Well, conviction is a fixed or firm belief where no clever argument, no persuasive fact or theory could uh, undermine that conviction. You have it fixed, It's not going to change. It doesn't matter what what, uh, argument is brought before you. There is a deep, deep conviction. But a preference. A preference is a greater liking for one alternative over another. It's a strong personal choice of behavior based on one's own knowledge to choose one thing or pattern of living over another. Now, you can have a strong personal belief, a strong personal preference, And that's when you say, I will never do something. And over time, after some persuasion, that never turns into, well, sometimes. Or on occasion. You see, but as we look at Daniel and we look at him living in a corrupt culture, he had to have more than preference. He had to have conviction. There had to be something that was so foundational in his life that that superseded anything that the culture could throw at him, that he would not waver because of preference. If all we have when it comes to our Christian belief system is a strong preference, then our strong preference to follow and honor God can be corrupted by a more persuasive, worldly, and corrupt argument. I can remember being in college in my freshman year at UTC and it yeah, only, only lasted a semester there. But uh, I can remember being there, and the English teacher saying, Jeff, I can, I can tell you're a Christian. And I said, oh, yes, ma'am. I'm glad you can tell. She said, well, I have a question for you. Can your God do anything? Absolutely, my God can do anything. He's, he is great. Well, can your God sin? Well, no. He can't go against his nature. She goes, sounds to me like you need to know more about, more about your God before you start telling everyone else about him. So I decided to be a pastor. Um, <laughs> showed her, right? <laughs> the, the thing is, you, you have to have more than a, a preference. And what the world wants to do is the world wants to put you in a situation where you, have to, where you have to decide, do I believe what I believe because I was raised that way and taught that, or do I believe what I believe because there's a deep inner conviction that is given to me by the Holy Spirit? And that's the only thing that's going to stand when you live in a corrupt culture. Biblical preferences will not stand up against the persuasive pleasures of the world and its corrupt culture. Therefore, we must have biblical conviction. I'm gonna slide behind there. Conviction comes from a connection with God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is why we have conviction. Look at what John 16:8 says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Conviction is a gift from the Holy Spirit. So having convictions, this is what Josh McDonald says, having convictions can be defined as being so thoroughly convinced that Christ and His Word are both objectively true and relationally meaningful that you act on your beliefs regardless of the consequences. Let me ask you, if you come to a point where you have such firm convictions that you will act on those convictions regardless of the consequences. Daniel, in this first chapter, gets to a point where he has to act on his convictions regardless of the consequences. Can I pray for us as we jump into his word? Gracious Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this time we have to be in your word. God, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we read your word, uh, implant in us a conviction based on your word by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can live our lives even in a corrupt culture, in a way that honors and glorifies you. Father, lead us and guide us by your presence and your peace. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see is the conquest of a corrupt culture. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 1, verses 1-4 through 4 to start. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, um, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, Ashpenaz the hardest part about preaching today, will be pronouncing the names, just so you know, Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed With knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, as we pick up here in in Daniel chapter one, we're basically picking up where Habakkuk had left off. You know, God is bringing His judgment towards uh, Judah, and He's He's going to allow the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to come in and and be his be his uh, his fist. He's going to put some punishment on His people for their corrupt ways. And so there comes this conquest. The word conquest is to defeat, overtake, annihilate, and overthrow by force. And that is exactly what the Babylonians are doing. The Babylonian empire was corrupt to the core. Babylon represents both a historical and a spiritual rejection of God with an exaltation of self. Basically what Babylon represents, both historically as we get into it, but also spiritually, is this kingdom that is against the kingdom of God. It is for self. It is for the eye. It is for me. It is all about pleasure. It's all about idolatry and immorality. And you're going to see this throughout Scripture here as we go through God's Word this morning. You see, there is a war over your worship. There is a kingdom of God that is living in the heart of every child of God. and the kingdom of this world, the spirit of Babylon is seeking to come in and overtake and overthrow your allegiance, your attitude, and your actions. There is a spirit of Babylon that seeks to come in in a conquest to overthrow your allegiance to the kingdom of God. That's exactly what we see historically in the book of Daniel, and we see it throughout Scripture as we go through it. So what is the spirit of Babylon. I've already said it's the spirit of idolatry and immorality. The Spirit of Babylon is the seductiveness of using immoral means to gain power, pleasure, and prosperity and puts self and satisfaction above the Word of God. Now, I, can just, I could just stop right there, right? And I could say, why don't you look at the news, look at our culture, look at the world that we live in, and it would be very easy for us to say, oh, it is a corrupt culture. It is very easy to see that it has a Spirit of Babylon that is all about me. It's all about using immoral means to gain power and pleasure. Am I right? We can see that we live in a corrupt culture just as Daniel was living in a corrupt culture. When we are led by a spirit of idolatry and immorality, we are led into a spirit of confusion, looking for things rather than to God to satisfy our every want and desire. We live in a world that is so confused, that it is continually looking at things to worship, both idolatry through immorality for things that will satisfy, that will fill the hole that is in their heart. And we live in a world and in a culture that is confused. And this confusion opposes the things of God. And a culture that opposes the things of God will oppose the people living for God. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when they come against you because you stand for truth. The prophet Jeremiah talked about Babylon this way in 5038. He said, it's a land of images, and they are mad over idols. One theologian said, "The human heart is an idol factory. We're always looking for the next thing to fixate on, looking for satisfaction. This is the spirit of Babylon." Look, at, look what he says there. Daniel chapter one, one through two. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand into his hand, and with some of the vessels of the house of God and he brought them to the land of Shinar. Now, as you read through this, I don't know if you're like me, but you would just Shinar would just be another hard, difficult town to pronounce and you would just move right on through, but the word Shinar, the town and the place Shinar also shows up early on in scripture in Genesis chapter 11. This is where it all began. In Genesis chapter 11, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there and they said to one another come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar then they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves the spirit of Babylon began with a people who wanted to make a name for themselves I want to supersede my position on this earth to where I am a God, to where I get to do what I want to do, where I am in control. The spirit of Babylon began here at the Tower of Babel, and the word Babel means confusion. They were confused. The spirit of confusion, the spirit of Babylon is this. A spirit of Babylon is a spirit of confusion. It emasculates sons. Verse 3 of Daniel. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch. As I was studying, one, one pastor said, when he got to the word eunuch, he said, you might be asking what that means, and for every guy in here, it's your worst nightmare. Right? It emasculates. It's confusion. We have a new term in our, in our culture called gender confusion. But it's a spirit of Babylon. It confuses it emasculates. It takes men and women of God and changes their purpose that God called them to. The spirit of Babylon is a spirit of pride. It elevates self. In Genesis eleven four 4, says, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. It elevates self. I come first. A spirit of Babylon says, I, I, it's, not, it's not what God's word says. It's what I want. The spirit of Babylon is a spirit of adultery and sexual immorality. It escalates sexual promiscuity. Does this sound like a corrupt culture that you are familiar with? Yes. Revelation 14.8, this is what we're going to see. It starts in Genesis, and it goes all the way to Revelation. Another angel, a second, following, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. The spirit of Babylon is a spirit that seeks to get the world drunk on her sexual promiscuity, immorality, and idolatry. It is a spirit that this culture is desperately fighting against, and some have become drunk and intoxicated with her ways. Revelation seventeen one through 5 says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immor- immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Let me stop right there. In Revelation, you get this prophetic look at what will happen in the end, and there is this There's this spirit of Babylon who has made its way into the bed of every kingdom and every nation of this planet where everyone is fighting for I. Everyone's fighting for pleasure. Everyone's using immorality to get themselves ahead because they want to be their own God. And she is called the great prostitute because she has wooed kings and kingdoms into her bed. This is the spirit of Babylon. Verse 5, And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes, And of earth's abominations, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. We need to know, as Christians living in a corrupt culture, that there is a spirit of Babylon that seeks to intoxicate us so that we can become drunk on her wine, so that we can lay in the bed of the spirit of Babylon. Babylon, both historically and spiritually, is the oppressor of God's people from Genesis to Revelation. The spirit of Babylon intoxicates the world's systems, its rulers, and its inhabitants with a spirit of confusion, pride, idolatry, and sexual immorality. As we look at the corruption of the culture, we need to recognize that the spirit of Babylon has sought to take us captive with her seductive ways. She has sought to fill us and satisfy us with her food and wine. She has sought to indoctrinate us into her kingdom. She has sought to take the saints and turn them into servants. This is her conquest. So as you get into the book of Daniel, it's easy to look at it as a historical account of what happened to the people of God. But it's easy to overlook the fact that it's going on today. There is a corrupt culture seeking to have its way with the saints to pull them from their worship of God to the worship of self. And this is why Peter would say this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Believers, Followers of Christ, we do not live for our own pleasures and passions. We live for the kingdom of God. There's a war against that. So resist as sojourners and exiles. There is a conquest, but there's also this coercion of a corrupt culture that takes place. Let's pick up in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. There was a coercion that was taking place. The word coercion means to act, the act of persuading someone. Just as the corrupt culture was forcing itself upon these men, it is forcing itself upon believers today. There's this coercion that was taking place. He says in verse 5, The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank, they were to be educated for three years. There's three ways the spirit of Babylon seeks to coerce Christians. coercion through isolation, coercion through indoctrination, and coercion through identification. They began... This day-to-day, three-year-long conquest of indoctrinating and coercing them into believing what they believe, acting the way they act, and living the way they live. It took time. Coercion through isolation. They were brought from their homeland to Babylon. The spirit of Babylon and sin seeks to isolate saints so that they will be weaker and more vulnerable without the presence of spiritual accountability and encouragement the first thing that the Spirit of Babylon does is it makes, it makes you want to believe that you are alone. That no one's struggling the way that you're struggling. That you couldn't possibly speak up in front of other people and say, here's the sin that I'm dealing with because you would be, you would be alienated. And so then that becomes an isolation for you. Well, I can't really feel like I belong at church. I don't really feel like I can be a part of the church because if, if they really knew who I, want, or who I was, then they wouldn't want me there. There's this isolation that takes place. This is why Peter would say in 1 Peter 5, 8, be so reminded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I've said this before. I don't know if you watch National Geographic, but every time they're like, ah, there's a little gazelle out in the field, and the lion is making his approach, right? And so you've got this little lion. It's starting to stalk. What is it doing? It's looking for the weakest animal in the pack. Oh, it's got its little prey in his eyes, right? And so, you know, he's oh, he's going to make a move. And so he isolates one of them, maybe a, a small gazelle or maybe an elderly gazelle. I don't know. It's got a cane. It can't get away. And so it's it's going to uh, you know isolate that one because it's weaker. It's by itself. And it can attack. Believer, please hear this. Don't buy into the lie that you are alone. There. are there are believers, there are family members, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are dealing with the exact same struggles that you're dealing with, and you are stronger together. This is why Hebrews would say this, the writer of Hebrews in 10, 24 through 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." You know that the day is approaching. We should be encouraging one another, walking with one another, uh, leading one another towards a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't be isolated. The second way of coercion is indoctrination. They were to be educated for three years. Indoctrination takes time. The spirit of Babylon is more acceptable and palatable when you are gradually indoctrinated into it. If you will just take a small bite over a long period of time, when you're given the full meal, it's so much easier to choke it down. I I don't know if you've watched the, uh, the educational. Well, it's not really educational. It's more entertainment of our culture. You know, we have an educational system, but more people are educated by entertainment than they are by books these days, right? And if you will watch the entertainment industry, you can tell that over a, a long period of time, they have begun to indoctrinate a culture with certain beliefs. It started off very small. And it was, oh, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't care for that. I think I'll watch a different show. I think I'll do something else. And over time, it became more and more and more widespread until one day when they lay it out before you in a big old platter, you say, well, that's just how it is. Indoctrination into the spirit of Babylon and that kingdom takes time, and King Nebuchadnezzar knew it. Let's start giving them a little bit of food. Let's start educating them over a three-year period so that they are more willing to be accepting, accepting of our ways. Coercion through identification. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hanani, he called Shadrach. Meshach, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Sin wants to become your identity. It wants you to think of yourself in terms of what you do and what you've done. The spirit of Babylon and sin seeks to alter how you see yourself and how others see you. Because if you will make sin your identity, then you're stuck. But I've got news for you. And some of you need to hear this. Your sin is not your identity. Amen. Better than that, what you've done doesn't define who you are. And that which seeks to enslave you isn't able to rename you. You are a child of God, you are a royal priesthood. God has Purchased you at a very high price with the blood of his son Jesus Christ, and no sin and no enslavement to a spirit of Babylon can rename you. So beware of the coercion and stand with conviction the conviction of a countercultural Christian. Let's keep reading Daniel, verse 8, going to 16. And tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance. And fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food. And with the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. There was conviction. I talked about the difference between conviction and preference. Conviction took place. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. Daniel and these youth, youth were forced to decide between living as a believer or as a Babylonian. At some point, you have to draw a line in the sand. You have to decide whether or not you're going to follow the spirit of Babylon or if you're going to allow the kingdom of God to live and reign in and through your heart and your life. And that is conviction. The conviction of today's the day. And I want you to understand it was this resolve that was in his heart given by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, and it goes on, and it talks about how he didn't eat, right? I, I don't know why. It could be because it went against Hebrew diet and uh, cleanliness. It could be that that food was offered to idols. It doesn't really say. But there was a moment where he said, you know what, enough's enough. I have conviction over this. I have conviction I will not defile myself, Paul speaks about this, and he talks about conviction in Romans 14, 1 through 4, and 17 and 18. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputing matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Basically, what Paul's saying here is it doesn't matter about the food that's offered to idols. It's not any of that stuff. What it has to do with is your conviction and your connection to God, and you are a servant of God. And if you have this conviction in your life because of God, then that's who you answer to. You don't answer to other believers about it. Let's keep going. He says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ is, in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Conviction is about a connection with God, not what you consume. Conviction is only possible through a connection with the Holy Spirit. True conviction. You can have preferences. You can have preferences based on the culture you were raised in, but conviction comes from the Spirit Conviction is about a connection with God and is courteous in application. I want you to notice this. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. How kind, right? How polite. A right resolved conscience with a wrong and rude conduct is not spirit-led conviction. Your conviction is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And when you sacrifice your conviction with a rude or arrogant attitude, you've lost that witness. Conviction is about a connection with God, and it is a clear witness of God. So we listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. That's the first time it's ever been good, right? Fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Their conviction, their pattern of life in a corrupt culture was evident. They were courteous in their conviction and their conviction was a witness. This is what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 15 through 21. He says this, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You see, there's a spirit of Babylon seeking to, in a conquest to take over those who are followers of Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be In us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see the connection. I want them to be one, Father. I want there to be such a connection that they live with a conviction that is a witness to the nations. I want them to live in such a manner of of connectivity with me that it is evident to a world that is going the wrong way that, hey, there is something different about these people. Our conviction in a corrupt culture is a witness for those of this world to glorify God that's what we're called to Christian conviction radiates the character of Christ a committed believer living out Christian conviction displays the character of Christ because Jesus is the greater Daniel Daniel is simply living out a conviction that points to Jesus do you you understand that this book is not about oh Daniel he's such a good character in the Bible be a Daniel no Surrender to Jesus. Have some conviction and produce the character of Christ so that others can glorify God. That's what it's about. Jesus is the greater Daniel. Both of them went from glory and royalty to humility and poverty. Both of them went from their home to enter into a world that was dark. And they opposed it in the way they believed. Both were filled with the Holy Spirit. Both traveled a few faith, with a few faithful friends, though through adversity and hardship. Both had tremendous wisdom in making ethical decisions under distress. Both men were wrongly accused and arrested on false charges, even though the political leaders overseeing the process declared them innocent. Both men were placed in a tomb or a pit with a stone covering the entrance from which they were both miraculously delivered. Both had exemplary character, evident conviction, and humbly stood against evil and suffered greatly for their loyalty to God. Jesus is the greater Daniel. The conviction through the Holy Spirit that enabled Christ to live the perfect life now is given to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit so that we can live with conviction and a connection with God so that the world would see that there is something different. They're countercultural. What's the reason? Because the culmination of a countercultural Christian is coming. Daniel 1 17 through 21. Let's finish out the chapter. As for those four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke to them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his, all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So, the culmination, everything that has taken place over these three years, all this indoctrination, all this education, all this eating and not eating, everything comes down to this moment where they stand before the king. It's all coming to a head. They're going to stand before the king. And these young men stood there covered in the grace and the gift of God. Did you miss it? Verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. What made them different? It's what God gave them. It was the gift and the grace of God. Therefore, they stood before the king And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better. If it hadn't been for God, they wouldn't have met the standard. If it hadn't been for God, they wouldn't have met the standard. See, I want you to understand this culmination of it all is that one day we're going to come out of this corrupt culture and stand before a righteous and holy king. And unless we are covered by the grace and the gift of God, we will not be accepted. Hear me, one day you are going to be called out of this corrupt culture and you will stand before a king. You will stand there. And if it wasn't for the gift and the grace of God through his son Jesus Christ, you would not meet the standard of righteousness. None of us would meet it. This is why Paul says in Romans fourteen ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And he ends that chapter with, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The culmination is this, that one day you and I, we will stand before a holy, holy, holy king. And if it weren't for the blood of Jesus Christ covering us, we would not meet the standard of righteousness. You will come out of a corrupt culture. I'm asking you this morning, are you going to come out of this corrupt culture with conviction? I drew the line. I wanted to live my life as a witness to the world that God is good and God is better. There's a a corrupt culture trying to woo you Isolate you, indoctrinate you, and re-identify you. Draw the line. Live with conviction. Because one day you will stand before the king. 1 John 2, 28. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him. In shame at His coming. Conviction leads to confidence in what Christ has done. Compromise leads to corruption and shame for what I've done. Church, I plead with you to stand in conviction against the spirit of Babylon. Against a world system that is trying its best to intoxicate you with the things of this world that will not satisfy, they will not cover you. But the gift of God, his son Jesus, is our only hope. If you don't know Jesus, I plead with you today. Because the day of culmination is coming. One day you will stand before a king. What will you have to show for it? Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's Christ and me. And that is it. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.